couple of things real quick so that I don't forget. Uh, veterans, uh, if you would, right after the service, come up here so that um, Steve Blaze would love to take your picture as a group so that we can honor you in that way as well as veterans of our church. And in case you don't know, you're, you're new to us or you're, you're visiting, you want to be part of this prayer uh, for the search team, the Hall of Missions is right, those doors right over there and right above the door it says Hall of Missions. So you can go right over there and join them in prayer. Uh, all that being said, please turn in your Bibles um, to Romans chapter 8 as we continue our study in the letter of Romans. And your pew Bible is page 944, maybe 945, somewhere in that area. And um, let us read from the Word of God beginning in the 8th chapter, 26th verse through the 30th. Paul writes again under inspiration of the Holy Spirit. The Word of God. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And He who searches the hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who were called according to His purpose. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. In order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom He predestined, He also called. And those who He called, He also justified. And those who He has justified, He is also glorified. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Most gracious God, we just thank you for your omniscient and omnipotent power that has called us forth from the grave and the grave clothes of death to be robed in the righteousness of your Son, Christ. We are amazed, O oh God, at this grace that you would bestow upon us. God, now that we come to your word, would you please open our ears that we may hear, our eyes that we may see. May our hearts be transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. And, O oh Lord, in my weakness, let your strength be shown. Forgive the sins of the one who speaks, that we may see Christ and Christ only, and be a new and different people. In your name we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen. John Stott writes in his book of the day in 1972 where Edward VIII had died and passed away. And that night on TV they ran a, a special about Edward VIII. And in it he speaks of his father, George V, King of England. And Edward VIII relayed the story that when he was a young man growing up, whenever he was mischievous or whenever he kind of messed up, his father would come and look to him and say, Son, remember who you are. In many ways, that's what Paul is doing in the Word of God with us today. As the people of God and as those who belong to God, he's shouting out a message to each and every one of us, children, remember who you are. You are the children of God. If you are an unbeliever with us this morning or a skeptic or not sure what you might believe about this, I'd ask that you would listen closely because it is a special message from God our Father to his children about the remembrance not only of 
who we are, but who he is. And within this message, there's the aspect of the already and the not yet, or another way to put that, those things that are immediate in our life right now that we can hold on to and the strength of which we can look forward to of what has already been secured on our behalf. And so as we exegete and open up these words, and we hear what God has to say in His Word, it is important for us not to let these words pass by without submitting them to the Holy Spirit for the transformation of our own hearts. They're difficult words. They're words that many churches have divided over. They're words that denominations have set themselves up on. And if I were to ask this church, probably, where would you stand on the idea of God's election and predestination? Half of you, if I divided the church in half and said all of you who understand God's predestination as eternal decrees, as God foreordained everything that was going to come to pass before the beginning of time, sit on this side, half of you would go over there. And I said on the other half of the side, if you think it's completely man's responsibility to accept the Lord when he hears the gospel, then you sit on this side. I guarantee the church would be mostly split in two. It's funny how we react to these words of predestination or even the word election. And we see them more of words of division instead of words of what God may have done for us. And so I want to steer away from your, your hearts and your minds this morning, away from the traditional views of what does predestination mean or God's foreknowledge mean. And we'll study that deeper on Wednesday night and going deeper. And if you want to go deeper into that and, and understand that a little bit better, come join us Wednesday night at 645. But for de- today's purposes, I want you to understand that the freedom, no matter how you came to this freedom, I want you to understand the freedom that God has provided for you as his children. And how through God's perfect will, he alleviates from us the idea of self-destruction and self-loathing and anything to do with a self and a hyphen behind it. Self-righteousness, self-aggrandizement. But that God has destroyed the idea of self by transforming us who belong to him into saints. And so let us look more closely at this word. The first thing I'd love for you to see this morning is that you and I are given a sovereignly ordained status. You and I are given a sovereignly ordained status. What do we mean by that? That the sovereign God, and what do we mean by a sovereign God? What I think the Bible clearly teaches about God's sovereignty is that there's not a molecule in the universe outside the control of our God. Spurgeon would put it this way, when a beam of light shines through and you see the dust particles in that beam of light, Spurgeon says there's not one particle moving outside of God's will to make that particle move. R.C. Sproul has said that there is not a random molecule in all the universe. If so, then God is out of control. And so when the Bible teaches that God controls everything, what the Bible means is that everything in the universe, seen and unseen, comes underneath the purview of a God who is omnipotent. He's all-knowing. And a God who is, I'm sorry, omnipotent meaning all-powerful. And a God who is omniscient, that he is all-knowing. And a God who is omnipresent, that God is in the past and God is in the future and God is in the now. And God surrounds all of that. As I've 
mentioned here before, and it's sort of a mind-blowing type of thought that we'll spend the rest of the afternoon after the football game for you to kind of decipher, that if God is omniscient, then God knows everything that's going to happen. And he knows the consequences of everything that's going to happen. Not only that, though, God knows everything that's not going to happen. And he knows the consequences of everything that's not going to happen. And the reason God knows that is because God is present in that. Being omnipresent, he's present in everything that is happening, and he's present in everything that's not happening. And because he's omnipotent or all-powerful, he is the first cause of everything that's happening and everything that's not happening. This is what we mean by a sovereign God, that he reigns and he rules over everything. And there's nothing that happens in the universe without the allowance of God's will. doesn't necessarily that God means that God inflicts evil upon people. But what it does mean is that there's evil in the world and God uses it, especially in the, in the lives of his people, for their good. That God is sovereign and transforms everything for the good of those who are called according to his will. I don't know about you, but that gives me a sense of relief. It gives me a sense of rest. That I no longer have to be the fourth person of the Trinity. That I don't have to control my own universe. That I don't have to have my arms out all the time protecting myself from everything that is an onslaught to my power or my control. That like many of you, I can live palms up and head down. Lord, show me what you will and let me do what you will. And we can join Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane and say, Father, not my will, but your will be done. Only because we have an ordained status. If you look with me at verse 27, the status is this. And it says that the Holy Spirit searches the hearts of those who know that, I'm sorry, searches the hearts, knows what the mind of the Spirit is because the Spirit intercedes for the saints. That we have a sovereign God who in the third person of his Godhead is continually interceding on behalf of those who he calls saints. So the designation and the status that you and I have before God in Christ is the status of saints. If you grew up in the Catholic Church, you probably heard the word saints around. You have all sorts of saints that surround you. What's not inclusive in that understanding of Scripture is that you also should be one of those saints on the wall of the church. You say, how can that be? Because Christ and His death and the efficaciousness of His blood has made you fully a saint in God. And because of that, we understand the Scriptures to teach us in the sainthood of all believers that none of us are distinguished either special or not special. But it's the same blood of Christ. It's the same righteousness of Christ that covered our Mother Teresa that covers me. Her need for the cross was the same need that I need. And the same fulfillment of her need is the same fulfillment of my need and your need. And that need being met in Christ by the pouring out of his blood for you and I elevates us all to the status of sainthood. The word saint means to be called out, to be set apart. And then in a very real way, 
in a very eternal way, each of us who call upon the name of Christ and have our faith in the Son of God have been called out and set apart by God himself as saints. So we hearken back to the opening illustration of George V. Children, remember who you are. This is not a status that you earn. This is not a status that you chose for yourself. It may not even be a status that you completely understand right now. But nonetheless, you and I must know that the ordination of you and I being called out and set apart came by the hand of God, and it is He who calls you saints. It is not an optional place for you and I to be, but it is an objective truth according to the throne of God. You're not just a mere human being any longer. You're not someone that's stumbling and bumbling through life. You're not just a feather floating on the wind. You're not a bubble in a jar of water. You're not a blip on the radar screen of history. But you are that person of which the Holy Spirit has invaded and incarnated in the righteousness of Christ to place you before the throne of the Father who monikers you as saints. Children, remember who you are. Notice how you got there. You are saints according to God's will. It is the Father's will for you to be known this way. It is the Father's desire that is fulfilled and His glory being fulfilled in you and I being saints. Well, what do saints do? What does a saint do 40 hours a week? Do we have a retirement plan? Better than most. You'll get that in a minute. Do we have a job description? Yes, we do. It says here that we are saints according to the will of God. And in verse 28, we know that for those who love God, all things are working together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. The job description that you and I have in a, in a general term and in a big 30,000 foot term terminology is that you and I are saints set apart for the purposes of God. That your life and my life must be consumed and compelled daily, hourly, momentarily as seeking what is the purpose of God in the situation in which I now find myself. If that situation is in the hospital room, what is the purpose of God for me in this hospital room? If, the, if it is the boardroom, what is the purpose of God for me in this boardroom? If it's in the cubicle, what is the purpose of God for me in this cubicle? If it's in the classroom, what is the purpose of God for me in this classroom? And it moves to situational. If I'm in conflict, what is the purpose of God in this conflict? If I'm in despair, what is the purpose of God in despair? 
You see, as saints who are set apart, we are to be consumed with the idea of what is the purpose of God in this and seeking in every moment, in every crook, in every cranny of this world, what is the purpose of God? Not only for me, but for the situation in which I find myself and those who are surrounding me. You see, the job description has a lot to it, doesn't it? And how is it that we are to show the purposes of God and discover them? It's not overly complicated, and we'll come to part of this again later, the exclamation point, but let me interject here just one thing in the way that we follow Christ. In the way that we look at Jesus and how did Jesus maneuver through the things in his life? What are the attributes in which Jesus displayed in his humanness in the situations that he found himself? How did Jesus love those who hated him? How did Jesus respond to conflict? What did Jesus do with those who assumed that they had power over him and how did he behave? And who was Jesus consumed with in following his agenda except his Father and the will of his Father? You see, you and I have been set apart. We have an ordained status as saints so that we might have that status according to the will of God that we might do the purposes of God. Even when we recognize our veterans today on the battlefield of war, those men and those women who have been in the trenches, who have been attacked, who have been on the supply lines, who have been behind the radar screens and the computers, must seek what is the purpose of God in this. What is God's will for me? In the very same way that the mother in her house with her infant child must be continually praying and seeking what is God's purpose for me in the relationship that I have with this newborn eternal creature. We dedicated these babies unto the Lord this morning. Let us therefore dedicate our parenthood to the Lord God Almighty that we might accomplish His purpose in these children's lives. Because these children will one day hopefully have the status of those who are saints amongst the people of God. I remember when my sons got their first promotion. They called me and let me know. They were very proud of what they had accomplished. And I said, well, what is it like? And they were telling me all the good things about it. And I said, well, is there anything negative about it? And they said, well, our friends are treating us a little different now. With rank came responsibility. And there came a separation. There was a different way that they interacted with their comrades. There was different expectations that they had in their promotion. What Paul is telling us today, because God has called you apart for your, his purposes and his will, you have a different status. You have a different rank. It's the rank of saint. And in that, there's different responsibilities that you have than those who don't understand where you are. 
There's a different call on your life than the rest of humanity has. And that call on your life is to be Christ-like in the situations of life for the purposes of God, that his will might be unveiled in the way that you and I behave. You see, you are more than just a blip on the radar screen in a life. You are a saint and called out one and sanctified for the radar screen of eternity in the army of God. Well, not only are we sovereignly ordained as saints, we also are sovereignly defined by the purposes of God. In verse 28, again, we look at this. We see we are set apart for God's purposes. For we, he foreknew and predestined us to be conformed to the image of his Son. Immediately, there's tension in the room. What will he do with this? We'll come Wednesday night and find out. Because today what I'm going to do with this is have you understand, no matter how you believe you came to the throne of God, you must understand that God has you in his hands. And that God is molding you and shaping you and making something out of you. And that he's using every means in the world to make that goal be accomplished. Some of you will know the name Gordon McDonald. Gordon McDonald said that back in his high school years, his track coach came to him and opened up a big notebook with his picture on it. And he showed Gordon what Gordon was going to accomplish. He said, here's what you're going to do three years from now. This is what your times are going to be. These are the races that you're going to run. These are the events I'm going to put you in. Gordon McDonald said, Coach, that's three, four years away. I'm not even close to those kind of times. I don't have any clue how you could even guess that I would become a track champion. And the coach looked at Gordon. He said, Gordon, I know that, but let me show you the plans I have for you. He said, here's your training program. Here's your routine. Here's the short-term goals that we're going to accomplish to get you to the long-term goals. And in that, don't you know that God has a larger book with your name and face on it? knowing every event and everything in your life that he is planning, all the short-term things that he's doing to accomplish the long-term promise that he has for you, which is to be conformed to the image of his son. That the hard things in life, the soft things in life, the good things in life, the things that we define as bad in life, the things that challenge us and the things where we find ease, all those things are being used to define you as one who looks like Christ. Our disappointments, our successes, our tears and our laughter are the tools of which God uses us, uses with us to make us look like Christ. And this is your ultimate end as a believer in Jesus. You and I, as those who belong to Christ, have been adopted by Christ into the family of God for the purposes of looking like him, that he might be the firstborn among all glory. That your life and my life, mystery that it is, crazy as it sounds, are destined by God's choice to bring him glory. 
I don't know about you. That astonishes me that God would choose someone like me. Some super surfer dude from the east coast of Florida to come up to upstate New York for the purposes of bringing him glory. Baffles me. It astonishes me. But it also excites me. And it strengthens me. And it helps me to persevere. And it helps me to face challenges. And don't you understand that's your call to That God has invaded your life so that you might recognize you've been made in His image. So that you might bring glory to God. That out of all of eternity, He puts His finger and His hand upon you. And by His goodwill and His good counsel, says, I'm going to use everything in your life. I'm going to do everything in your life. Your failures, your incompleteness, your successes. I'm going to use all of it to bring me glory. And like Gordon McDonald's track coach, he's showing you and I the outcome of all the trials that we face in life. He's showing us the outcome of every practice session. He's showing us the outcome of every short-term goal that is achieved, that we will be conformed to the image of Jesus. For those who He foreknew, He predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. In the right now, not the far away, but in this day, in these pews, in this moment, in your life, that is what brings you dignity, power, and perseverance. Whether you want to believe that or not, it has been foreordained by God that you are the image bearers of His sons and daughters, bound for glory, accomplishing His purposes today. And that is what gives you your dignity as a child of God. There's no need for you to be ashamed any longer of who you are. There's no need to be self-loathing. There's no need for self-criticism and self-condemnation. There's no need for self-righteousness. There's no need for self-promotion or worry. There's no need for self-aggrandizement. Because God has already established you as His for the sake of His glory. And what God has ordained, I promise you by the Word of God, will come to pass. For those of you who don't understand this and have no clue or you're skeptical and you have no idea, I want to tell you, You will continually search for your dignity. You will continually search for your purpose in life until the point where you will find that life has no purpose. That we're just random. 
and random things happen. And that the only thing that can bring real meaning and real purpose to life is for you to understand this, that God has put you here. He's put you here this morning for the very purpose of hearing this word. That your heart might crack and the seed of His Spirit might seep in so that you could be transformed and understand the purposes for which you were made. That in the stinking world that you and I live in, our role is to bring glory and light to a dark and a dying place so that God would be glorified in our existence. And that will give you purpose. And that will give you a destiny. And the destiny is this, that you will look like Jesus in the end. Don't forget Jesus has scars. Don't forget that Jesus has marks on his back. Don't forget that Jesus struggled. But also don't forget that Jesus has the name above all names. And that Jesus has all authority in heaven and earth and has promised to share that authority with you and I. Because we're sovereignly defined, we are sovereignly destined. Verse 29, Holy Spirit goes on to tell us, For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, that we might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those <coughs> whom He predestined, He has also called. And those who He's called, He's also justified. And those who He's justified, He has also glorified. What can this mean but this? That the not yet to come is this. That in the same way that God is glorified in what we do, we share in God's glory at the end of this day. You and I are destined to be caught up, to be overwhelmed, to be immersed in the glory of God. It's the glory that the apostles saw in the transfiguration. It's the glory that John saw in the revelation. The glory that made him fall as though dead at the feet of Jesus. The glory that was unrecognizable by mere human eyes. The glory of the one who stood as the first and the last. That is the glory that you and I are destined to be immersed in for all of eternity. To experience, to share, to be bombarded with all that which is Christ. You wonder, why will it take an eternity? Because it will take an eternity for you and I to delve in the depths of what the glory of God is and the love that God has for you and I. So in the here and now, understand this, that you have been defined and that you have been given a status as the children of God and the status as saints. And saints have a purpose in life. And because of that purpose in life, we know our destiny is fulfilled. I love football season. And I especially love it in this day and time when we have DVRs. And when my team, which I'll go unmentioned, but it is the Southeast Conference, wins, I love to DVR the game. And if they've won, I get to go sit on my couch with my snacks and my drink and watch the game. And all through the game, it doesn't matter how bad things get. I'm okay because I know they're going to win. But don't you see? We know that we win. 
And life is nothing more than a DVR that you and I are watching and participating in as characters and carriers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. No need to worry. No need to falter. No need to stumble. Because we know the outcome. And the King of Kings will bring us home. And He'll get us there before dark. Let's pray.